0: Bismillah Alhamdulillah Wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala ali wa Sabiyya ajma'in Amma baad fauuz bilLai min al-Shaytan ar-Rajim. Bismillah rahman rahim Rabbi Sharah li sadri wa yasir li amri Wahlu li wa hlo luddathan bilisani yafqaw wa Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My dear brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of Muslim Inside with me, Raja Zawalhak. Today, Alhamdulillah, we're going to talk about uh, how we are Muslims, how to believe in Allah subhanahu wa taala. What is the reason? Uh, why we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and many other things. But w- before we get into that, I'll take some of your comments which you left in my last video. And uh, so let's start off by a comment from Brother Faisal Ansari who's asked the question, Asalaamu Alaikum Zahar I'm from India. My question is how to maintain our deen in universities and how to do dawah in universities. And what is the responsibilities of youth as a Muslim? Those are a lot of questions and uh, very heavy questions might I add. But the thing is that in order to do dawah in universities, first of all, you yourself have to be in that mindset and you have to gain that knowledge yourself. So inshallah, I hope that if you uh, stick around for this entire uh, series of episodes, inshallah, this will uplift you to the point that you're able to understand why we are Muslims, why do we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why is Islam the best solution for all of mankind. So once you have that knowledge, then you can inshallah go ahead and proceed by giving da'wah and dawah can be done in so many different ways. Inshallah we'll talk more about that later. Let let me come to the next question, which is from Asil Ali One Hundred. Asalaamu alaikum bhai also wanted to ask uh, that when we say Shaitan is jailed in Ramadan, do we mean only Iblis or is our Kareen also jailed? Okay, that's a very good question the thing is that most of the scholars they said that only the rebellious shateen are jailed or are in chains in the month of ramadan but your own kareen or um, your own nafs is still active so you still have to guard against that and this is why people still end up doing a lot of bad things even though it's the month of ramadan so inshallah we should uh, try our level best to do the best we can in this uh, sacred month and what i would advise you is that you know if there's anything you want to do uh, which is an act of righteousness, or if you want to adopt a good habit, or if you want to leave a bad habit, you won't find a better time than the month of Ramadan. Because, uh, again, as it is uh, mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet, ﷺ, that the Shayateen, the rebellious Shayateen are chained up. So, uh, this is your best shot at trying to get rid of any of the uh, sins that you might be engaged in and adopting new good habits. Okay, we have a message from Ujala Hussain who's saying that, and can you discuss? how to avoid dramas, movies, and other so-called entertainment, and what should we do instead for the halal entertainment? So I would say that, uh, well, uh, avoiding it is to get rid of the source itself. Uh, Make sure that you get rid of a television, or if you have one, just get rid of the uh, cable or whatever connection you have, and use uh, your laptop to connect to the computer, uh, to the actual TV screen, or you can use a USB and only put that content which you find that it's going to be beneficial for you. Either it's beneficial for you in the dunya or in the akhira. I mean, there's tons of videos out there, even on YouTube, where you can watch t- um, tutorials, learn new things. All of that is great and halal entertainment, inshallah. I've done a whole workshop on this called The Fun Theory. I think it's available online as well, so you can go check that out. Um, we have another comment from Rutba Tarek, who said that, will this be available even after the session ends? Absolutely, yes. You can, inshallah, watch it anytime at your own convenience. We have another comment from Aftab Maiman and he's saying that, Jazakallah, sir. I'll make sure to watch every single video of this session and get benefit from it. May Allah uh, bless you and reward you for your intentions, bro. Uh, my sincere duas for you. We have a comment from Sister Samra Sana who is saying, Mashallah, examples are so relatable. Alhamdulillah, we do try to make it as relevant and as youthful as humanly possible. May Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us. And uh, finally, last two questions. We have one from Sajid Ali saying, "Salam, Zia uh, by following Youth Club on YouTube, I started feeling a different Muslim inside me. My, uh, by Ibadah and connection with Allah, I can feel the sweet taste of Iman. Alhamdulillah, that's great to hear. He says, let me know how I can be more consistent because I don't want it to fade away. JazakAllah khair. That's a very, very good question, uh, my dear brother Sajid Ali. The thing is that Ramadan is going to be a place where you practice. You practice to... Be consistent, but as soon as the month is over, find good company, find good people to hang out with, inshallah, and that will hopefully keep you very, very consistent. Stay connected to the Book of Allah, even if it's a little portion every day, but do that, and inshallah, that will really help out. Last question we have from Brother Muhammad Faiz, I think Faiz, Faiz. He says, "Ya bhai, can you please make a video on uniting Ummah? How can we unite the Ummah and excuse me, different uh, firkas as their uh, beliefs are separated on... Some topics, right. So bro, the thing is that this particular course that we're gonna do, uh, that's the whole essence of it. We want to unite on a single platform. We believe in the same Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we follow the same messenger, the Prophet Muhammad and we believe and follow the same book, which is the Noble Quran, then why are there so many differences? So inshallah, we'll go very, very slowly, step by step, inshallah, so that we can become better Muslims and hopefully uh, unite the Ummah. Now, last time, if you guys remember, we talked about the Muslim worldview. We talked about what it means to be a Muslim. Why are there so many differences in worldviews, people view certain things? And we talked about this, that, you know, if you have a particular worldview, it's going to affect your actions. So whatever software you have installed in your head it's going to affect your hardware that's as simple as it is in Islam we call the software iman so when you have iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you say i believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i believe in the day of judgment i believe that the angels are sitting on my shoulders writing down everything that I, that i do that automatically has an impact on your hardware that's it. So th- this is why you find in the Qur'an again and again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Allah amanu wa Those who believe and do righteous deeds. Because your belief is connected to your actions. Whatever you believe in, your body, your limbs are going to act in a similar manner. This is how uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also explains it in the Qur'an. Now I want you to imagine a scenario. And the scenario is this. Imagine that you wake up in a hospital. And the doctor removes a blindfold from your eyes and he says, open your eyes. And when you open your eyes, you see the doctor there in front of you. There's a nurse. You can hear all these uh, uh, gadgets and technology in the back. Maybe there was a heart monitor beeping in the background. you can hear all of this stuff, but you have no idea how you got there in the first place, how you got to that hospital. And so the doctor asks you a question that, who are you? What is your name? And you look completely astounded, you're like, Um, Doctor, I really don't know. So the doctor asks you another question that, uh, do you know who your parents are? And again, you have no idea. He asks you, do you know where you are right now? And you say, yeah, I can tell I'm in a hospital. They say, no, which city, which country? And really you don't know. And he says, do you know what you do? Do you study? Do you work? Any of those things? And really you have no recollection. So he informs you that you've been in a train accident and many people died in that horrible accident and many survived and you happen to be one of the survivors but you've suffered some head injuries and uh, because of that it seems that you're going through some type of amnesia maybe partial or complete amnesia meaning that you've had a loss of memory so the doctor instructs the nurse that please bring some of those bags that came along with all of the luggage that came uh, when a lot of the patients were brought to the hospital so a lot of maybe 10, 20 different bags are brought in front of you. And then the doctor picks, just picks one random bag up because he thinks or he assumes that this belongs to you. And he says, is this your bag? And, and as I said before, you have no recollection. So you say, I don't know. And the doctor says, no, I think this must be your bag because it matches your outfit or something like that. And so he opens up the bag and he takes out several books inside. He takes out a diary. And in that, a name is mentioned. And so the doctor asks you a question that are you... Uh, John Albert, and you say, um, Doctor, I don't really know. And he says, Are you? is your father's name Albert Christopher? And you're like, really, I don't know. Is your mother's name Margaret Christopher? No, I don't know. Are you a student of the engineering university? Because it says right here that you seem to be a student of the engineering university and you're in your second semester. And you say, Doctor, I really have no idea what you're talking about. And so the doctor says that there's an address given here as well. And uh, since you seem to be fine otherwise, apart from the amnesia, you seem to be okay. So have a nice day. Enjoy your life. This is your bag. Go to this residence and talk to your parents. Hopefully everything should be fine. And I'll see you maybe in six months. Now, as you pick up the bag and you're about to walk, off, uh, walk away from the hospital, there's a question in your mind that what should I do right now? And you're faced with two options. Either you follow what the doctor said, simple, straightforward, do what the doctor said or you go on a journey of investigation you find out maybe you go to the site of the accident maybe you go to the police station maybe you go back to the hospital and find out if there are any other survivors there maybe perhaps some of them look like you and maybe they can identify you maybe you've suffered amnesia but they haven't so they can identify you perhaps you should go to the police station and find out uh, who were the people who died perhaps you need to go to the site of the accident and maybe that will sort of jog up your memory But definitely a process of investigation. So out of the two options, which one do you think makes more sense? Option A, which is to follow the doctor blindly, or option B, which is to investigate. I think any sane person would take option B and say that you know what, I would rather investigate myself, who I am and where I'm from and where I'm going. Now hold this for a second and think about the day that you were born. When you were born, Did you ask anybody's permission before being born? The answer would be no. Did you choose which house you would be born into? Did you choose your parents? Did you choose your siblings? Did you choose your face? Did you choose your height? Did you choose your tribe or your ethnicity or your race? The answer is no, no, and no. Didn't choose any of those things. Then the big question is, did you choose your religion? Did you in fact choose your worldview? How are you going to view life? And the answer is no. We are born into a particular faith, so a person born into a Muslim family stays Muslim. A person born into a Hindu family stays Hindu. A person born into a Christian family stays Christian and so on and so forth. Unless people start to think critically and analyze why do they believe what they believe in. My dear brothers and sisters, this is the entire purpose of this course, that we understand why why are we Muslims? Why should we worship Allah? Why should we follow the Quran? Why should we follow the Prophet? ﷺ? Why, 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 why? And inshallah, I'm going to try my level best to untangle some of these things and help you understand. So where do we get our world view from? That's a very good question to ask. You know, where do we get that world view from? Primarily, we get it from our parents. Because when a child is born, the parents are responsible for almost the entirety of the child's upbringing. So the child learns some character values from them, some traits from them, some habits from them. And then the child goes on to school and then college and university. So they end up learning some other things, some other values from school, college, and so on. And then they learn from experience. They learn from movies they watch. They learn from the books they read. They learn from the people they hang out with. So all of these things contribute to a a person's worldview. And so by the time you're like 15, 16, 17 or something, your worldview is a combination of a lot of people's thoughts, a lot of the stuff that you've seen and heard and watched and people you've hung out with, it becomes uh, a combination of all of those things. But by and large, we become a product of our society. We become uh, accustomed to the ways of our people. And very few people, very few people actually tend to question their own existence and why they believe what they believe in. So the first question that we're going to start off with is this basic fundamental question that, is there a God? What proof do we have? Now, there are two things that can be said right now. One of the things is that if there is a God, then that would have certain implications. And then if there isn't a God, then that would have its own implications. Like for example, if there is a God, then obviously that God has sent down some instructions for us to follow. There would be a concept of heaven and hell, reward and punishment, so on and so forth. As we find in many religions, that's the case. However, if there is no God, then there is no point in having this conversation. We can just shut down this video and just go on with our life and just do whatever we want. Because the thing is that if there is no God, let's just imagine a world without God. I mean, right now, I don't want to give you evidences for God. We'll do that in other episodes. But right now, I just want you to imagine a world where there is no God, where people don't believe in a God. What type of world would that be? Or if I was to kind of turn this question around, I would say in a world that's completely atheistic, where there's atheism, what would be the implications of atheism? in the world that we live in today. So the first thing that would be hindered by atheism is that life would have no real meaning. There would be no purpose in life, there would be no meaning in life. Because if you look at it from a biological perspective or an evolutionary biology perspective, they would say that you're just a bunch of random atoms and molecules joined together. You're just a product of chance, uh, natural selection, you know, and uh, random mutation, all of this stuff has been happening. So you basically are an accident. You basically are an accident. Completely looking at it from an atheistic perspective. Think deeply about this. From the atheistic perspective, you are a big fat cosmological accident. That's what you are. And accidents have no purpose. I mean, if I was to spill a glass of milk what is the purpose of the spirit milk? There is no purpose, accidents don't have purpose. So the thing is you would be left absolutely clueless that okay, so why do I exist? I don't, I mean, this is just a its pure accident. Even if I don't exist, would it really matter? No, it wouldn't. So that's the first thing. The other thing is a person might say, like for example, Richard Dawkins, who's a very famous uh, author of this book called The God Delusion, who basically argued that, Uh, we can look at purpose from a biological standpoint and from that perspective from pure biology your purpose in life would be survival and reproduction that's it your purpose in life from a biological perspective as per richard dawkins would be just survival and reproduction that all you have to do is just exist and reproduce from that perspective The more you exist and the more you reproduce, the more successful you are in your purpose. So given that, Isaac Newton was a complete failure because he had no kids. So he basically failed in his purpose of life, which was that he survived for a few years but he didn't reproduce so basically he didn't really achieve that high maqam or that high station of what a human being was supposed to do which was survival and reproduction. Propagating uh, and expanding your own DNA and creating more life. This is what was supposed to happen. So from that perspective, it seems quite absurd that a person's entire purpose in life was, would be just to survive and reproduce. It's almost like me saying that your purpose in life is to blink. We just blink or your purpose in life is to breathe, simply to breathe. That's your purpose in life. And we all know deep down inside, that's a very, very shallow purpose to have. That couldn't possibly be a purpose then the other question could be that, okay, so, okay, fine, we understand there's no purpose. We can make our own purpose. We can make our own purpose. How about that? So I will make my own purpose. I will define my own way that, you know, my purpose in life is to spread peace and happiness. My purpose in life is to become an engineer. My purpose in life is to become a doctor. Now, the thing is, if you make that your purpose, and if you come up with your own purpose, then that's like you lying to yourself. Because the truth of the matter is, that you have no real purpose, you're just making believe that you have a purpose. You get what I'm saying? Like, when you say that there is no real purpose, so I'll make one up myself. It's like, I know there is no Santa Claus, but what if I believe for a minute there is a Santa Claus? You're just trying to fool yourself into thinking that you have a purpose. And you see see a lot of people who are atheists, And if they are really people who reflect and contemplate and think, very soon they realize that they've made up a purpose on their own. But really, in reality, their life is absolutely meaningless and pointless. There was no purpose to their entire existence. So, a world without God would be a place where meaning and purpose would be gone very, very quickly. And some of the uh, philosophers who were atheists uh, like Nietzsche and so on, they talked about this, that, you know, if we go down this path or re- literally go down this rabbit hole that there is no God, then eventually this would result in people becoming very chaotic because they would realize that there is no real purpose in life. And this is why some of the highest suicide rates are among atheists because the, the real purpose of life was just to maximize pleasure. That's it and if at any point you feel that you know life is becoming tough or that you're you're struck by a disease or something then it might be more suitable to just end your life right there because your life was supposed to be just about chasing pleasure desire things like that and there was no real purpose to life you we were just supposed to enjoy life survival of the fittest so on and so forth so that's the first thing that's going to go out the window the second thing is that with atheism there is no value to human life Because, as I said, uh, whether you look at a mobile phone, a pen, a book, uh, a cup, uh, a coaster, or something like that, and myself, we're all the same. Why am I saying we're all the same? Because we're just all a collection of atoms and molecules. That's all we are. And all of us are pretty random. And as a matter of fact, they might even argue that the pen has a design, but I don't have a design. I'm just random. And so because of that, there is no, I mean, if I was to break or destroy one thing, like for for example, if there was a small child standing in front of me and a tissue paper, and I was given the choice that you have to destroy one of these, the small child, let's say five-year-old, and a tissue paper, then from the atheistic standpoint, either one of them is a good option. Because either way, both of them are just atoms and molecules that don't really matter even if one of them doesn't exist, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Now somebody might argue, but no, human beings have feelings and emotions. Well, when you look at it from the scientific perspective, they don't really care about that, feelings and emotions. They just say, you're an accident, that's an accident, doesn't matter, one of you is gone, it doesn't really make a difference. So when you think about it deeply, you realize that from the atheistic perspective, from a godless perspective, human life has no value. But we, deep down in our hearts, we know that human life is value. From the atheistic perspective, all it is, is it's about maximizing your pleasure and minimizing your pain, your own pain. So basically from the atheistic or the godless perspective, you have to look out for yourself. You have to preserve yourself, survival and reproduction. That's what you got to do. So there's this famous experiment whereby you ask the atheist that if I was to give you like a remote control, whereby if you press it, each time you press it, some random farmer in China is going to die. Random farmer in China is going to die. But what would happen on the flip side is that you're going to inherit straight away $20,000. Question is, how many times would you press the button? If you were to ask a normal human being, they would say, I don't want to kill a person and get $20,000. I don't want to take a life. I don't want to commit a crime. I don't want to do that. But if you were to ask an atheist and the person says that, you know, from an, I mean, even an atheist with a good heart might say, I don't want to press that button. But saying that statement is contradictory to your belief system because your belief system is that there is no hereafter. There is no value to human life. There is no meaning or purpose to life. We're all just random accidents roaming around in this world. So even if one of us is gone, what what difference does it make? It doesn't make any difference. And especially if it's benefiting me, because for me, survival of the fittest. I have to survive and reproduce. I have to look out for myself. I am my own number one. I have to take care of my needs first and foremost, even if that means somebody else dies. Who cares? Because you see, from the atheistic standpoint, I have just this one shot at life. I don't, from an atheistic perspective, you don't believe in a hereafter. There is no heaven or hell. This is the only life you've got. That's it. There is nothing else after this. Once you die, you're in the grave and that's it. Or you're cremated or whatever. You're just dust. That's all you are. So you've got like 50 years, maybe 60 years, 70 years to enjoy your life. That's all you've got. So why on earth would you not want to kill a random Chinese farmer and inherit $20,000? You would press that button till your fingers start to bleed from the atheistic perspective. If you are true to the atheistic uh, implications. If you are true to the uh, worldview of atheism, you should be saying, I would keep pressing that buttons till my account is absolutely filled up, or till I'm satisfied, or till my fingers bleed, or whatever. But if you say that, no, I don't want to kill people, even if they are random farmers in China, I, d- I don't want to kill them, then that means you've still got some goodness left in your heart and you know deep down inside that the implications of atheism make no sense, absolutely. They make no sense whatsoever. So from atheism, number one, you have no meaning or purpose in life. Number two, human life has no value. And number three, that you have no ethics or morality left. What do I mean by that? What, what do I mean when I say that there is no ethics or morality left? Now, for example, if you were to ask an atheist, that would it be okay for two people of the same gender to be in a relationship, a physical relationship? They would say yes, because we believe in homosexuality. All right, fair enough. What if I say that these two homosexuals were father and son? Would you still be okay with that? Some people might start to cringe after that. Actually, a lot of people might even cringe at the uh, thought of homosexuality. But then there would be others who would say that no, I. I cringe at, you know, when you say it's a father and son, or if it's a mother and son, or it's a father and daughter, any of those incestual relationships, I would cringe at that. But from a pure atheistic perspective, that shouldn't be a problem because as long as two people are having consent and they're in a relationship, that's okay from the atheistic standpoint. So incest, from a pure atheistic standpoint, should be okay. As long as there are no children, because somebody might come up and say hello, but if they have children, they might be born retarded and what have you. But the thing is, I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about taking contraception. And obviously, if it's a father and son relationship, you can be sure that there are not going to be any kids involved. Now, the thing is that if I was to take it a bit further, what if a person was to have a relationship with, let's say, somebody who's dead? From the atheistic standpoint, would that be okay? Any normal human being would cringe at the idea of that. That a person having relationship with the dead, man, that's sick. But from an atheistic standpoint, that would be perfectly normal because A, the person is having relationship with someone who's dead, who's already dead, and so that person doesn't have any, well, even if he was alive, he didn't have any meaning or purpose anyway. But now that he's dead, he has double uh, all of that. So he doesn't have any meaning, he's dead anyway. So if somebody wants to have their way with this person, that should be perfectly fine. Nobody's being harmed, because they keep using the harm principle, which we'll talk about later on, that as long as nobody's harmed, because this is a victimless crime. There is no victim here. That person was already dead. What if somebody said that, okay, uh, what about somebody having a relationship with animals? Would that be okay if we made sure that there was no damage done to the animal? Any normal human being would become sick to the stomach with the thought of that. But from a pure atheistic standpoint, that should be perfectly normal. That should be perfectly okay. As long as there is consent, nobody gets hurt, that should be fine. So all of these things, which any normal human being would be absolutely disgusted with, from an atheistic perspective, there should be no issue. Let me make it a bit more interesting for you guys. What if a person was to go shopping for uh, dairy, poultry, things like that? So he goes shopping to buy some groceries, and so he buys a chicken, a dead chicken, and he brings it home to eat it, but before eating it, he has sexual relations with the chicken, and then he cooks it and eats it. Is that okay? Is that ethically, morally okay? Any normal human being would say that is absolutely disgusting and gross, but from the atheistic standpoint, that should be perfectly normal, and you shouldn't have a problem with that because no rules were broken in this whole process. My dear brothers sisters, what I'm trying to tell you is that from the atheistic standpoint, there is no grounds for morals and values and ethics. Everything becomes uh, subjective. Everything is subject, subject to change. So there is no objective morality here. Uh, we as Muslims know that our ethics and our morality comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, comes from God Almighty. Allah tells us, do this, we do that. He says, don't do that, we don't do that. So for us as Muslims, we don't encourage or we don't uh, endorse homosexuality or bestiality or necrophilia, zoophilia, whatever you might have it. We, We don't incest, nothing. All of these things are impermissible in Islam. As a matter of fact, two people who are of the opposite gender, even they cannot have a relationship unless it is in the form of marriage, in nikah. So we know where our objectives and our morals and ethics are coming from. But from the atheistic standpoint, anything goes. And this is why you find that the most bloodiest of wars have not been conducted by religious people but rather by people who didn't believe in God. You look at uh, the 20th century, uh, there's a book by Zbigniew big new Brzezinski called uh, Turmoil um, Go- and Global Conflict, something along those lines. and. Uh, actually the name of the book is Out of Control and in that book he mentions that the 20th century has been the bloodiest century in the history of mankind and all of these wars he says were not religious wars but they were done for political and uh, monetary reasons they weren't religious wars so you find again and again that there is this consistency that whenever there is atheism in a particular society then ethics and morality is the first thing to go the only reason why a society that is primarily atheistic or doesn't believe in God, would be ethical is because they fear the, the stick, they fear the law, they fear the punishment that will come from the police department and other security forces that might catch them. And so these countries really invest heavily in their security forces, in their police system. And uh, as a matter of fact, there are more people in United States prisons than there are in universities. True fact. You can you can fact check this. There are more people in U.S. prisons today than there are students at U.S. universities. This is why they have to have a huge, massive system because people, when they realize that there is no real ground for ethics and morality, we can pretty much do what we want because this is the law of the jungle, it's survival of the fittest, then people will go and do whatever they want. And when that happens, then the police comes in and grabs all of these people. So my dear brothers and sisters, today what we have learned is that In a world that's godless and based upon principles of atheism, three things are gone first and foremost. Life ceases to have any meaning, there is no value to human life, and there are no real ethics or moral values. So inshallah, in the next session, we will talk more about how can we prove that there is a God, because we've made some really fantastic claims here. Inshallah, in the next episodes, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Thank you so much, and JazakAllah Khair for tuning in. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of you and reward all of you. Please don't forget to share your comments in the comment section. I will try my best to, inshallah, answer some of your questions uh, in tomorrow's episode. Until then, do take care of yourselves. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.